Let us now read what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 3. God's word is summarized there as follows. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. After the sermon... We will sing together from hymn 36, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the previous Lord's Day clearly established for us how sinful we are. No doubt was left in that regard. We are required to love God and our neighbor. But by nature, we only love ourselves. The Lord requires that we live for him totally, for he created us, and he created us in such a way that we cannot be truly happy unless we live for him. The last Lord's Day had us take a look at ourselves to see how we are part of the problem, and this theme continues also in this Lord's Day. For this is what this Lord's Day has us deal with. It is not so, of course, that the Heidelberg Catechism, the authors, had difficulty with the fact that man is responsible for his own demise. They knew that man wants to blame others for their demise and that he wants to now also use his own twisted logic and blame God for man's fall into sin. And in this way also blame God for the sin and misery which we find all around us. For creating a world where death and destruction reigns. And if you don't know any better, then that's quite understandable. If we say that God created this world, and then we see how much wrong there is with it, then is it not logical that it is God's own fault? For he is the one who created this world. You're always responsible for your own product, aren't you? That's the way it is in the world of business. If Toyota makes a car, and then if it doesn't run properly then they have to fix the problem. They made the car, and therefore they are responsible for, the mal- for any malfunction. And now we want to apply that same principle to God, the creator of all things. 
We want to hold him responsible for what's wrong with us and for what's wrong with the world. Can we do that? The Catechism says, no, we can't. Why? Why not? Well, we'll consider that as I preach to you about man's wicked and perverse nature. We will look at man's original state, man's fallen state, and then finally man's renewed state. First, at man's original state. For if we want to have an answer to our question as to whether God is to blame for man's sinfulness, then we have to go back to the beginning, then we have to go back to the time of creation when God made the original design. So how did it all begin? In the first two chapters of the Bible, we find the blueprint for man. It is the manufacturer's handbook to explain to us in simple terms what we need to know about our creation and about all of creation. And there he tells us what he had in mind when he made us. He explains there what his original plans were for man and for what purpose he made man. God said in Genesis 1 verse 26, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here we see that man was created for a special purpose. Nothing is made without a purpose. It's also true for the things that we make. The car, for example, is not made so that we can look at it. No, it has a certain purpose. It was made to help transport people safely and quickly from one place to another. Well, the same thing is true of man. Man is also made with a purpose in mind. And what do you think that purpose was? Why are you here on this earth? Do you know, boys and girls? Well, the Catechism says that you were created so that you might rightly know your Creator, heartily love Him, and live with Him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify Him. So, God created you in order to glorify Him. That is why He made you. That is the original purpose that he had in mind for you. But in order for us to be able to fulfill that purpose, we also need to be equipped for that task. In other words, we must be able to do what God requires from us. And then the question is, did God also do that? Did he create us with the ability to do that for which we were designed? And the Catechism says that he did. God made man so that he could do everything that he was meant to be able to do. There was no flaw in the production. The Lord God took of his own majesty and he endowed man with it. Only he could do that, for by nature a created object has no power of its own. Only God can give him all the qualities that he needs in order to be able to fulfill that purpose. We read about that in Psalm 8. It says there in verse 5 and 6, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. 
So God tells us that man is given a position of honor and glory. He is given some of the majesty of God. He says to man, I am king over all this creation, but I want to share that kingship with you. I want to make you vice regent. The earth is my footstool, and I have also put all things under your feet. You are not merely an ornament for me to gaze at. No, I made you a partner. You may share in all that I have done. You may represent me in my dominion over this creation. And these were not just idle words. No, not only did God put man in that exalted and privileged position, he also made man capable of being God's vice regent. What does it mean? Well, the Catechism says that he made, God created man in true righteousness and holiness. Those are the main tools man needed in order to rule over God's creation. He had to be righteous. He had to be holy. What does it mean to be made righteous? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that means that God created man in a right, in a harmonious relationship with God. There was no discord. There was no enmity between God and man. A righteous man knows the will of God. He knows how God wants his creation to be ruled. A righteous man is not someone who seeks himself but who seeks God in every aspect of his existence. He does the will of God without regard to himself, but in regard only for the covenant that the Lord God had made with him. For a righteous man is someone who fulfills his duty towards God in the context of the covenant. The Catechism also says that we were made in true holiness. It's also part of the original design. Holiness refers to the fact that man is separated from sin and that he is totally dedicated to God. It refers to being unstained, unblemished, pure. And the Catechism mentions only righteousness and holiness as those qualities which belong to man as an image bearer of God, but those two are not exhaustive. Many other qualities could be mentioned. For not only did he make man righteous and holy, he also endowed him with wisdom, with knowledge, with intellect, with imagination, with sight, with the ability to hear and to speak, and all the other qualities which even now after the fall into sin we recognize in man. And again, do you know why God gave those qualities, those various qualities to him? So that man could be in a good and harmonious relationship with God and with one another. And he needs the tools to be able to do that. And he gave those tools so that there could be a harmonious relationship, a loving relationship between God and man and between man and man. Only in that way can you glorify God. When we speak about man as the image of God, 
Let me see all those qualities which God himself possessed reflected in man. In other words, when you would look at man and see him at work in paradise, then you could clearly see God through him. He reflected God's will and character in every way. If you ever watched and heard an orchestra play, then you have some sense of what harmony is all about. There are many instruments and many sounds but they all blend together. It's wonderful to hear and to watch the violinists playing the violin in complete unison with the other violinists, while at the same time the other sections of the orchestra play their part of the composition, and they blend in together. Why does an orchestra sound so beautiful and harmonious? That is because they all play from the same music seat. The composer wrote it all to be played in this way so that all the instruments will blend in together and sound exactly in the way that he intended. And that's the way it was originally in paradise. Adam and Eve played their part in creation according to the plan of God. God gave them his instructions and the ability to follow his instructions. And furthermore, he also equipped them to do what they were intended to do. We see, for example, how Adam used his imagination in the way that he exercised his office, how he used his imagination and skill of language in naming all the animals. He gave them their names in in accordance with their own qualities. And he placed them all within a harmonious relationship within God's creation. Adam, in doing so, walked and talked with God. He tells the Lord, his God, about every move he makes. And the Lord approves of what he does. Adam takes also great delight in what he does. He also walks and talks with his wife, whom the Lord had given to him, with Eve. There was nothing wrong with the original design. And yet something did go wrong. That makes us to our second point. As you know, man fell into sin. He lost all those qualities. How is that possible, you may ask, if there was nothing wrong with the original design? Well, that also brings us back to the original question, whose fault is it? One thing we know for sure, it wasn't God's fault. How do we know that? Well, first of all, the scriptures tell us that. Everything that he made was very good. There were no mistakes in it. Even in this fallen world, God's creativeness can be clearly seen. Only an almighty creator could have made this beautiful universe. The evidence is all around us. Only the blind do not see this. An almighty God such as he must be perfect. That's what the Bible also tells us. He created it all in a harmonious relationship. God hates disharmony. And that is why God also forbids sin. He abhors, he abhors sin. And he wants nothing to do with sin. He also abhors the effects of sin, such as pain and misery, wars and natural disasters, death and destruction. He hates it with a great hatred. Listen to what Elihu says about God to Job in Job 34 verse 10. He says there, so listen to me, you men of understanding, far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong, 
Or consider Habakkuk 1 verse 13 where the prophet says about God, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. You see, God cannot even look at sin. That's how abhorrent it is to him. And so, from this we can conclude that sin does not originate with God. We can also conclude that the original design was not at fault either. What then was the problem? Well, the problem is that you and I decided not to play according to the composition that God had written. We wanted to do our own thing. We robbed ourselves of the Lord God's gifts and abilities bestowed upon us at the time of our creation. For we are not created like a car. The car is an inanimate, cold object made of steel and plastic and other components. It can only do what you tell it to do. But God made us living human beings. He gave us flesh and blood. He gave us hearts and minds. He gave us the ability to love him and to serve him and to glorify his name. And we ourselves spoiled the product. And that is hard for us as human beings to accept. Man does not want to blame himself for his own demise. No, we always look to blame at somebody else or at something else. And he wants to blame the Creator. And do you know what a terrible thing that is? It's like saying to the composer of a beautiful piece of music who had done everything possible to make the playing of his composition a success, that it is his fault when one of the musicians decides to play his own tune, thereby ruining the performance. The composer did everything in his power not to let anything like that happen, for not only did he write the music, he also bought the instruments, gave them to each member of the orchestra, paid for all their music lessons for the many years it takes them to learn their craft, and during all that time he made sure that he did not have to worry about food or drink, or clothing, or shelter. And then after that, some members of the orchestra say that they don't want to play his music. They want to do it their way. And now they blame him for the fact that the music is awful, that there is no harmony. What do you think of such people? What an ungrateful, rebellious, and undeserving bunch of people. Well, brothers and sisters, that's us. That's how we treat God except our crime is much greater. It is so hard for man to accept his guilt. For, says he, God created us in such a way that we could sin, and therefore it's still his fault. And that's what question and answer, what question 7 also tells us. It asks, from where then does man's depraved nature come? But then it says, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve. For there man became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Man himself ultimately is responsible for the loss of his image and likeness of God. And we have to take responsibility for what we have done in Adam. And if you do not want to accept that, if you do not want to accept that you and I are guilty in and with Adam, then you cannot accept your innocence either through the blood of Christ. 
If you do not want to accept the sin of the first Adam and your own role in this, then you do not accept the redemption of the second Adam either. It is only in that way that you can glorify God. For you see, one thing did not change man's office. God originally created man in order to rule his creation. That's his task. And that task did not change. Even though now man was absolutely capable of ruling over, incapable of ruling over his creation, man still has to fulfill that mandate. And now we reach the heart of the matter. For this fact is not something that mankind of today will accept. For in today's society we hear the adulation of man's accomplishments. Mankind speaks out about how far man has come since the dark ages. Look at the technology we have now in comparison with even only a century ago. Optimism runs high. Look at what man can do. He can reach the outer perimeters of space. A man could even be sent to the moon and he can explore the depths of the oceans. Man also has greater understanding about the complexities of human bodies. Delicate operations are now performed and medicines are developed to combat disease. Visual and audio images are sent instantaneously from one end of the world to the other via satellites so that instant communication is possible. And so we can go on and on. And so modern man will exclaim and exult, look at the way man has taken dominion over God's creation and what is more there seems to be no end to what man can do. We live at a time where optimism knows no bounds. You see, all that energy and creativity and imagination put at work by mankind, in all this we see that some of man's glory, of his former glory, still remains. We still see a glimmering of man's former splendor and creativity and imagination. But... To what end is that little ability which man now still has used? Is it used to glorify God? The sad answer is that it is not done to the glory of God, but to the glory of man himself. For with all this technology we see that we hate God and our neighbor. And then we may say that we as God's children are different. We want to recognize the power of God in all things. We do not want to glory in the so-called accomplishments of man. And by and large, that's true. We do want to honor God. Yet in all this activity of mankind, we may not lose sight of the fact that we as God's children are part of the human race. We are all children of Adam. The whole human race is a fallen race. And we belong to it. Every person here on earth is a child of Adam. We all share in his fallen nature. And therefore every one of us is guilty before God in the way that we exercise our office. And let's take a look at ourselves. What do we, as God's children, do with this creation and the technology that we now have? 
do we glorify God with these things? Look at the many ways in which we too abuse God's creation. So let me ask you, how, for example, do you use the way you watch TV? Many of us allow all kinds of programs into our homes, TV shows, wherein every commandment is broken, showing adultery, fornication, greed, murder, blasphemy, the use of God's name in vain. And that's just one example. And what about the way that we use the Internet? What kind of images are you loading onto your computer screen? And what about the telephone? Do you use it to God's glory? Or is it an instrument through which gossip is passed on to another person? Are we prudent in the way that we use God's creation to his glory? And let me ask you, young people, how do you use your iPod or your other electronic devices? What kinds of messages are you sending back and forth to your friends? Are you using these kinds of things to bring glory to God's name or to your own? Do you realize for what you have been created? Oh, sure, it's good to be able to use those various devices. But God gives us a responsibility. For as we look at the technological advances of society, we have to see at the same time the moral bankruptcy of mankind. And also see that in this way, the earth is raped and polluted. And we should see the way that man uses the resources that Lord God has given to mankind. And therefore this earth cries out for renewal. As it says in Romans 8 verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It groans under the weight of sin. It is especially at this point that in Lord's Day 33 is not only spoken about the corruptness of man, but also about the need for regeneration. That brings us to our third and final point. The question is asked, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And the answer is yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Yes, unless there's a glimmer of hope. It's not all dark. The Catechism has us go back to Lord's Day 1 and ahead to those Lord's Days later on which also deal with the Holy Spirit. Lord's Day 1 taught us that the Holy Spirit makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for God. The Holy Spirit must renew us if we once again want to go back to what we were before the fall into sin. We have to be regenerated. To be regenerated means that we need to be reborn. And here the difference between us and the world comes in. Although we are all sons of Adam, we are not all sons of God. For the world does not want to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. Only God's children want this. And therefore do not think that we should not enjoy God's creation. Oh yes, He gave it to us for enjoyment. And in so doing, we can also make use of the various technological advances of today. But here we must go back to the picture that we had 
Before the fall into sin in Genesis, Adam walked and talked with God. He listened to God as to how he could use the resources which the Lord God had put at his disposal. And that is the kind of creatures that we must once again become. And that's possible only through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit renews us. And through Him we receive the freedom to be the kinds of creatures we were designed and equipped to be originally. And we should and we may enjoy that freedom. But woe to us when we go outside of the limits that God has set. Woe to us if we want to play our own tune. When we use God's creation in rebellion against His command for our own purposes. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, how greatly blessed you and I are. In spite of our rebelliousness, in spite of our lack of gratitude, in spite of the fact that we want to blame God for our demise, we still have that threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. The Lord did not take that away. And now through Christ we are again equipped to exercise that office. He gave us His Holy Spirit. Through Christ we are made righteous, and through Christ we are made holy, sanctified in the service of God. And what a great privilege that is! The Lord God has crowned you and me with glory and with majesty. In Christ we may rule God's creation. This makes us a privileged people of God. And now even though we in so many ways abuse that exalted position which the Lord God gave us, we know that His Spirit renews us and His creation. And He will continue to do that to the very end until His final recreation when the earth as Peter says in 2 Peter 3, will melt with fire and be totally renewed, never to be spoiled again. We may be part of such a renewed world. And the rest of the world that does not want to be recreated in the image of God, and that does not want to see that they have their office from God alone, will burn together with all the other elements. They will continue to blame God or else ignore Him. And in the end, God will blame them and ignore them and burn them together with the rest of this corrupt world. May that not happen to you and to me. May we live to God's glory. And may God's Holy Spirit guide us and renew us every day. And together let us look forward, brothers and sisters, to the final day when this world will once again work in total harmony and glorify God in every way as God intended it originally. And so let us pray, brothers and sisters, come, Lord Jesus, and renew your creation so that we, together with you, may rule over the beautiful works of your hand from now on and forever to honor you and to glory you and to give Majesty to your great name. Renew us, Lord, for we have sinned. Only we are to blame ourselves 
and only you can restore us so that we may glorify your great name. Amen.